This is the Sonder Community Podcast. Our goal is simple, better ourselves and better the world. My friends, thank you for being here on the first episode of the Sonder Community Podcast. Just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping before we got into it. This episode, along with several of these first episodes and, uh, you know, the letters to the open letter to the dying church has been written for over a year at this point and recorded for months. Um, so I just wanted to give you a heads up that it is not necessarily up to date with the uh, the events of the past couple of weeks. You know, I don't. I'm not mentioning Ukraine or Somalia or the bills in Texas and Florida. Not that. Not that anybody is coming to this podcast and going. I really am trying to navigate global foreign politics. So I'll, I'll go to. I'll see what Corey has to say about this whole thing. But I just wanted to give it's give you a heads up that it's not that I, I'm not like. I don't care about it. It's that uh, I, I've already written it. And I don't even know what I would say at this exact moment, uh, even if, yeah, even if this wasn't recorded. But, you know, I, I hope that more than anything, whether or not the specifics of today are included, I hope that the overarching message and the perennial truths or ideas are. Um, are conveyed and understood. Yeah, I and mean, today's the first letter, the first chapter of the open letter to a dying church. So yeah, we'll we'll see how how the response is to this. I'm I'm really trying to be understanding but direct. And you may not want to listen to this, and you may want to listen to it. Who knows? But either way. I appreciate you being here. Let's get into it. Dear Church, You don't really know me, but I know you. For 17 years, I spent nearly every day of my life in a church building. I spent every day taking Bible classes or attending or creating a service or leadership training, and eventually working full-time for you. I mean, I was consumed by you. I spent endless hours watching sermons, reading books, and studying how different churches function and operate. I wanted to make my church and my community the best they could be. You consumed the first years of my marriage. Every night of the week. I mean, every night of the week, we had a group at our house or were helping with the service. Not to mention the amount of money that we gave to you that we couldn't really afford. You know, I bled for you. I cried for you. I loved and I sacrificed for you. Because more than anything, more than anything, I wanted you to succeed. Because my deepest belief was that if the church was winning, individuals, communities, and the world would be winning. 
You made me who I am. And today I look at what's important to me, and I, I know that it came from you. You taught me to love unconditionally, that it is most important to take care of the outsider, you know, the widows and the orphans, and to not expect anything in return. You taught me that all people are created equal. You taught me ways to be a good husband and father. You taught me to care more about the greater good than my individual preference and to put others' needs before my own. I met some of my best friends because of you. I met my wife while we were both giving our lives to you. So to say that I care deeply is an understatement. I write this not because I am against you. On the contrary, I want you to be healthy and I want you to be universally beneficial. For the first time in American history, most people don't attend religious service. More than ever before, people are leaving their religious communities and people are finding that they don't really know how to fit in a church and many aren't sure if they even want to. I am one of those people. 32% of Americans identify as atheist, agnostic, or of no religious affiliation, the nuns. Now, it isn't just white, educated, young liberals that are leaving. It's, it's a wide range of age and, ages and demographics. These numbers are from before COVID-19, so that means that the pandemic was not the determining factor in people's lack of attendance or religious affiliation. Now, the, the reasons for this are innumerable. So some, some don't believe in God and never want to go to a church again. Others find that the character of the church is one they don't want to be affiliated with. Some have been kicked out, whether directly or indirectly. And others have left after seeing those people get kicked out. Now hear me say this, I, I don't write this as a disgruntled ex-employee. I don't write this with some attitude of superiority. I don't write this so that you feel like you're being attacked by culture. And I don't even necessarily write this so that you switch political parties or come to my right way of thinking. I write this because... Because something in me says, I have to write this. You are in danger. The danger does not come from rulers, demons, or culture, but from yourself. I write this because countless individual people have stories of mental and emotional trauma rooted in their personal experience with you. I write this because you are not being persecuted, but too often you play the role of the persecutor. Now, I can't speak to everyone's reason for leaving, but I must say something about what I've been seeing and what I've been hearing. In Matthew, Jesus tells this story. A man had two sons. He went to the first son and said, Son, go to work in the vineyard today. 
The first son answered, no, I'm not going to. But later he changed his mind and he went. The father went to the second son and said the same thing. The second son answered, okay, I'll go. But he didn't go. So Jesus stopped telling the story and addressed the crowd. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even after you saw it, even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Right now, the church overall has a reputation. And pastors always told me that perception is reality. So you should know that to ex-insiders and outsiders looking in, the perception is that you are the second son more often than not. The perception is that you may say something is a value, but your actions directly conflict with that. Right now, the word Christian is associated with pride rather than humility, fear rather than courage, irrationality rather than wisdom, looking good rather than being authentic, self-centeredness rather than fighting for justice, adultery rather than commitment, in judgment rather than unconditional love. Now, this may not be your experience, but these perceptions are often due to someone's personal lived experience. These aren't just off-the-cuff judgments. Now, there are, of course, churches and Christians that are the exceptions to this. And it's hard to write and say this because I know so many good, kind, loving, well-intentioned people that really make this so complicated and difficult to say. But even good, kind, loving, and well-intentioned people can become blind to our own weaknesses. The church I grew up in always had donuts on Sunday mornings. The strategy was probably to hope that donuts would entice some people to come to church who wouldn't normally come. When the new pastor took over, it's likely that he saw how much was being spent on donuts and how few new people were coming because of them. And so donuts were canceled. It was cancel culture, 2008. I remember some people who had been attending for years feeling and acting deeply offended. Donuts on Sunday is how it has always been and how it always should be. That's the way that God intended it, darn it. Now, things are always changing. Sometimes we notice and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we choose to change and that could be exciting. But sometimes, sometimes that change happens to us. And that can feel difficult. It can feel scary. 
if it feels like you're losing control of something, that something is changing without your permission, it's very easy to get defensive and protective of what's comfortable and familiar. Especially if it feels like who you are as a person is being attacked. So when listening to something like this, be aware of how easy it is to shut down and get defensive. There's no need to feel like you have to point out all the ways that this doesn't apply to you because this is between you and yourself. Even the most egregious violators have moments of generosity and love to point to. And I've had so many conversations where I just want to be a mirror to help friends and people I love to get better and healthier. And often these types of conversations, um, the communities, the people, the pastors respond with something like, Pastors are humans. You can't expect them to be perfect. Or we do a lot of things well. Can't we focus more on those? You are bringing division where God wants unity. The church is made up of sinners. Look at the plank in your own eye. Now, these are not helpful responses. I mean, responses like these aren't beneficial for the people you're responding to, and often they don't paint you or your point in the best light. These may work well as personal reminders, but they simply don't translate to conversations like this. Now, I understand. I understand that not every church can be the best at everything, and a ship can't change directions overnight. While I do believe that there are some things that you really should change your opinion on. This is not necessarily about a destination of beliefs to arrive at, but we should be working to improve. No one should expect perfection, and I, I really don't think that most people expect you to be perfect. But if you are sick, you should not lay around using the excuse of being sick. You should go to the doctor to get treated. In the same way, we cannot use our humanness as an excuse to continue to do wrong. Instead, it should be a motivator to try and improve. Right now, we find ourselves in an all-too-familiar situation. It seems that you would rather stay the same or try to grow in numbers and stay comfortable rather than be at the forefront of the fight for justice and radical love. In conversations that you and I have had, there tends to be an unwillingness on your end to consider that you're wrong. I mean, you do say, I am imperfect and I don't have the answers. Yet, when we talk about treating your volunteers and employees better, LGBT plus inclusion, racism, defending the earth, or really any other issue, there is a major resistance and unwillingness to consider ideas outside your own. I mean, this makes it seem as if words are more important than actions to you. So I've now seen multiple messages uh, directed at people who have deconstructed their beliefs. The messages generally make a point to say something along the lines of, you may have worked at a church for 20 years, but if you are deconstructing your beliefs, you never have experienced the truth. God doesn't want you to run away from him with your questions. 
He wants you to come to him with your questions. So if you've left the church because of questions, you're doing it wrong. I mean, it's it's a little funny when it's pastors who have been pastoring the generation that is deconstructing their beliefs. I mean, do you not realize that you're the ones who taught us all the bad practices, bad theology that we're having to sort through? I mean, as a person, I, I take that pretty lightly because it seems like these are people that don't actually know or talk to someone who is deconstructing their beliefs. But when it's pastors and churches with larger followings, all it serves to do is warp their congregation's view of people that take their beliefs seriously. It only serves to further polarize and continue to push people away because people who are deconstructing their beliefs obviously care deeply enough about this to deconstruct it. You are in a position that you have been in far too many times. There is talk about unconditional love, but there is a tendency to have some conditions to that unconditional love. Or, you know, just show love to people that kind of are the easiest to love, while overlooking people in situations that make us uncomfortable. Now, if you look at your history, it'll serve as a mirror to what you are in the present. The Civil War was a fight against slavery. Unfortunately, too many pastors and theologians supported the Confederacy in their, in their battle for slavery. They even provided good biblical backing for the idea. I mean, even today, there are monuments that have been created after the Civil War that are praising the, quote, holy cause of the Confederacy. These pastors and theologians use the Bible as a sword in the fight against human equality. They prayed for troops, wrote about the inferiority of black people, and split denominations over this issue, all in the name of Christ and biblical authority. Not only were they unwilling to acknowledge the injustice of it, they were even willing to die for the cause of slavery. They truly believed that they were right, and they refused to consider otherwise. Now, these pastors were unfortunately not the exception. As Marcus Aurelius said, you can also commit injustice by doing nothing. There was a missionary who owned slaves, and a committee of Baptist leaders met to discuss their stance on this missionary and slavery as a whole. Now, after discussing it, they agreed that it, quote, it is not expedient to introduce the subjects of slavery or anti-slavery into our deliberations, nor to entertain applications to which they are introduced. It was too political. The subject caused too much division, so they decided not to take a stance and not talk about it, you know, for unity's sake. There used to be a law in Athens that would actually find people like this. If there was a revolution and you tried to sit it out or you sat on the fence and didn't take sides, you would have to pay a fine. The word uh, in Greek for someone who doesn't participate in the debate uh, in, on essential matters of the day is idiotes. So the ex examples from the Civil War could obviously go on, but let's move on to civil rights. Again, pastors use the Bible as a sword against human rights. 
Sermons like The Christian View of Segregation and God the Original Segregationist used the Bible in the name of Jesus to advocate for segregation. Most of the church was primarily not an advocate for social justice. So while black church leaders were leading the way for civil rights, people like Billy Graham were more focused on how the message was presented. A journalist wrote that Graham didn't walk with protesters or call for open housing or desegregated churches because he was too busy praying. Though not every Christian was vocally supportive of segregation, many in the church were primarily concerned with law and order rather than the fight for equality. When talking about the neighbors that were opposed to segregation but were silent, Martin Luther King Jr. said, A time comes when silence is betrayal. For more on the church's involvement in the civil rights and civil war, check out Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise. The issues that you, the church, face today are eerily similar. You are still using the sword to fight battles that are not worth fighting. You are at war with love, commitment, and fidelity in the form of LGBT while we are waiting for this week's celebrity pastor sex scandal. You are more concerned with fighting against masks and not singing songs in the same room than taking care of the victim and loving your neighbor. You are transfixed on abortion while breezing past the issues of the healthcare system, quality of life of both child and parent after accidental pregnancies, and the major flaws in the adoption and foster care systems. You act like the victim of oppression, but don't fight on behalf of those actually being oppressed. You need new lights, sound systems, and leadership bonuses, all while homelessness and poverty are pervasive. You seem to be obsessed with being in your four walls and not about what happens beyond them. I mean, unless it's easy to post on social media and put you in a good light. You completely dismiss or lightly touch on numerous hot-button topics because it may make your congregation uncomfortable. Now, if you do engage in these conversations, it's in the most general terms possible or to profess your unyielding opinion because there's no room for open-mindedness or any thought other than your own. You sing songs about Jesus and worship Caesar. Of course, of course so many of us are hurt and have left. It feels like the values you taught us, we don't see you living. And it seems like you're unwilling to grow. The spaces that we were told were safe have been anything but that. Now, ironically, the very people I was taught didn't know how to truly love are some of the most loving people I know. It is the real-life story of the Good Samaritan, and if it wasn't so serious, it would be comical. As people with the good news and as moral and spiritual lights in the darkness and beacons on a hill, you will always be held accountable to the high standard that you yourself have set. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to be sick. It's not okay to not try and get better. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Now, to quote the verse in the beginning, 
even after you saw it, you did not change your minds. A teacher was meeting with a student for a cup of tea. And the teacher began to fill the student's cup. And once the tea got to the top of the cup, the teacher did not stop. Instead, they kept going. Soon the tea was overflowing from the cup onto the table, the student in the floor, and finally the student shouted, Stop! You're spilling tea all over. Can't you see that my cup is full? The teacher stopped pouring and said, You are like this teacup. You're so full that nothing can be added. So come back to me when your cup is empty. Please, feel free to come back to me with humility in an empty mind. Is your cup already full? Are you even able to learn? Or is your mind already decided? Do you have a mind like a child? Are you willing to consider thoughts that don't confirm your already established opinion? I write this in hopes that you stop blaming the victim and the other party. I hope that you would evaluate and act. Now, I can't judge yesterday's actions with today's standards because what seemed right yesterday may not be suitable for today. There is a time for unknowing that is entirely understandable. I mean, it's, it's the same as if a toddler breaks something. It's, it's somewhat permissible because they just don't know any better. Now, though the item is still broken, there, there's an understanding. In the same way, you thinking a certain way, I mean, it really makes sense. And we can have understanding. Now, people are still hurt and broken, but you may not have realized. But now, people are seeing it. Eyes are being opened. Would Jesus say the same thing to you that he said after the story? Even after you saw it, you did not change your minds. Now, if you, if you refuse to open your eyes and look, stop saying, well, I just don't see it that way. Well, of course you don't. You refuse to open your eyes. You refuse to consider that you may be wrong, which is actually understandable. I mean, our brains operate in a way that we believe something first and rationalize that belief second. So it takes focus and work to be genuinely curious and to try to find truth beyond what we already believe. My hope is that your cup would be empty because it all starts with openness and emptiness. Eyes willing to open and see, hands vulnerable enough to be open to giving and receiving, minds humble enough to be open to change. Be willing to learn from new sources. Resist your gut response. I mean, don't accept and act out of your first impressions and cognitive bias. Don't wait for a particular church or pastor to do a series on the subject or take a stance because the same spirit that lives in them lives in you. Now, there's a, there's a complicated aspect about this for me. I, to be honest, I almost want to be mad at you. I have felt both deep love and abandonment from you. I mean, it would be easier to point my finger and say, do better, be better. It would be, it would be so easy to treat this as black and white, that I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy. The problem is that I've, I've been you. And I know myself 
while I was where you are. I also know and love you. You have been there through the most difficult seasons of some people's lives. You make it a goal to be kind and generous. I mean, genuinely sacrificing for people. You aren't a Christian because of the glory or status that comes with it. I know you didn't start serving your community because you thought it would bring in a lot of money. You want to be the most loving and generous representative of Christ possible. I bet that you've loved so many people in your life. I think that you've had great intentions. And I don't think you're stupid. I think that you've been so busy. You've been too busy to even think about being more open-minded. I don't think you're evil. If anything, I think that you're afraid. And it's normal to be afraid. In fact, I think that it may be a universal response to change. You likely underestimate the guts, humility, and courage that comes from being open-minded. You may think that it's for some lack of commitment that people's beliefs change. You may think that it's weakness, foolishness, or a lack of character that makes people embrace their own sexual preferences and causes others to embrace the LGBT plus community. You may think that people are indifferent about the loss of their faith community, friends, and sometimes even family. If that's what you think, you couldn't be more wrong. It takes courage. It takes courage to pull the string that may unravel the sweater. It takes courage to calmly face conflict, especially with people that you love. It takes courage to go on a path that risks your social acceptance. It takes courage to consider ideas that fly in the face of everything that you've believed your whole life. It takes courage to make a decision that could completely isolate you. It takes courage to change. Now, you have been given an opportunity. You can choose to open your eyes and see. Open-mindedness is the first step in your opportunity to demonstrate the courage that you have. Being open-minded isn't for the faint of heart, weak in will, or easily offended. I'm not writing this with the intention of giving you all the answers. This wasn't written to give every response to every argument. I'm going to write more again to clear up some confusion and disagreements that you may have and expound on some of these thoughts. And you may still disagree with me, and that's totally fine. And you may be saying, it's so easy to point out the problems, but are you willing to be a part of the solution? Uh, Yes, that's why I'm writing this. You may see me as someone who's left, and so therefore, that negates any opinion that I have. You may think that I stand separate and in a place of judgment. But the one thing I do know is that there is so much that I don't know. I don't have perfect answers to all things. It isn't about that. So to continue my previous analogy, you're sick. 
But I'm not talking to you as a doctor. I'm talking to you as if, I mean, if I were laying in the same hospital room with the same illness that you have, and I'm just passing on some remedies. So hear me say this as if I'm speaking to myself. I'm genuinely allowing you access to my innermost self and advising you the same way that I've advised myself. I'm not starting a church or offering a new way of running a church. I'm just offering to walk on a journey together. A journey of living a good and meaningful life. I ask you to be open-minded. Then, if you're willing to go on a journey, the way will unfold before you. Though we have made immense progress on so many issues, there's still progress to be made. You are, of course, free to consider all of this or refuse to. But either way, I think that you would agree with me on this point. That it's best not to just talk about our philosophy and values. We should live them. I hope that they'll begin to know you by your love. Thank you for listening. Feel free to continue to join us on the podcast. As always, all content is also written on our website. This content is only part of what we do. We want to know you. This is an experiment in creating a community that transcends our physical location. We have regular community pop-ups where we connect and have intellectually honest conversations. To sign up for information, stay up to date with our online pop-ups and events, to join our community on Discord and follow us on social media, check out our website at thesondercommunity.com.